Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. The majority of this podcast will focus on the big weekend at Saratoga Racecourse, highlighted by Saturday's Traverse Stakes. I will speak with Gazette handicapper Matt Donato and Naira Morning Lines odds maker David Aragona. I will also look back at the life of Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts, who died Tuesday at the age of 80, with Debbie Calton of OutsideFM.com. Week 6 of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books, and Week 7 is underway, and Gazette horse racing writer Mike McGannon joins me to talk about it. Mike, uh, welcome back to the podcast, and... uh, Happy Travers weekend. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm actually up at the track. This is being taped on Wednesday, and I'm up at the track here with my sister and her uh, boyfriend are in town. So figured I, I weaseled away to get a day off during the racing week by uh, stockpiling some stories early. So it, sometimes you got to take um, you know exorbitant measures to uh, to figure out a way to get up here and just sit around and, and uh, lose money all day. But yeah. So that's what we're doing on Wednesday. But in the meantime... There's a lot going on this weekend. We had a pretty good um, performance we saw in the Alabama last weekend, but this week it's like, you know, it's the crush of Travers week, and besides the Travers on Saturday, there's a bunch of uh, really good undercard grade ones on Saturday as well. So um, there's a lot going on. This is the busiest week of the season, uh, except for maybe, you know, the lead-up to opening day is is always nuts too, but um, we're ready for it. Well, let's, we'll talk about the Travers in a second, but let's talk about Malathot's, uh uh, effort uh, is uh, to quote the Grateful Dead. It was an Alabama getaway for her. She dominated that race. Yeah, and um, it was really gratifying for the connections, um, especially trainer Todd Pletcher, because he knew she ran a winning race in the coaching club American Oaks uh, earlier in the meet, and um, you know the dynamics of that race just didn't play in her favor because it was a very short field and a couple other horses, Maracuja. And uh, Clary kind of took turns um, hounding her around the track and and took just enough starch out of her that she couldn't quite get the job done, even though she ran a winning race in the Oaks. So to come back in the Alabama and run so well and, and kind of, I think I, what I said in my story was she didn't reestablish herself so much as she reinforced what everybody already knew about her. And, and that opinion did not change after the Oaks just because of the way the race played out. But then she came back and, you know, kind of, Prove that that was a little bit of a fluky thing in the Oaks um, by uh, performing so well in the Alabama. It really was, it's going to be hard to beat as one of the better, um, you know, singular performances of the meet. Um, and she's clearly the number one three-year-old filly in the country. Everybody knew that. That standing did not change after she got beat, which was her first career defeat. Um, but she really, you know, not that she needed any validation, but she kind of reminded us of how good she is by how she ran in the Alabama. How stunning was Maracuja finishing last in that race? Um, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the replay to see what happened to her. I think they were kind of complaining afterwards that she had a little bit of an inside trip with some traffic. I think she might have had a bad trip, but um, I don't know that anybody thought she was going to come back and, and repeat the, you know, the defeat. That she, you know that she enjoyed in the uh, coaching club America. Oh, so it wasn't surprising that she got beat. You know, last place was just probably a simple fact of the the trip 
didn't work out for them. So that maybe the jock dialed down at the end, not to like beat her up unnecessarily. If you, if you know, you're not going to win the race. So it might've been a little bit of that, that kind of case. Yeah. Well, let's look ahead to Travers on Saturday in central quality. Uh, obviously the favorite four to five coming out of the two hole. Yeah. And legit four to five. Um, the field came up a little short, but we knew, you know, going into the draw on Wednesday that, um, you know, the, the, the seven suspects that we were expecting, you know, they, they, they were the ones that were named. Um, I'll just rattle off the field real quick um, in post-position order. The one is Dynamic One, who won the curl in for Todd Pletcher earlier in the meet. The two is Essential Quality, last year's champion. The three is Keep Me in Mind. Uh, the four is King Fury. The five is Mosque Parade. The six is Midnight Bourbon, and the seven is Miles D on the outside. Um, four to five on essential quality. He is legit. He, you know, he he did his the took care of business. Did what he was supposed to do in the gym dandy. He didn't win it in like really, you know, by open lengths and you know, in dominating fashion or anything like that. But he never really wins by big margins. He just kind of like does what he has to do, and that that is show that he's the best horse in the race. Um, and he's clearly the best horse in this race. Um, four to five might be a little light for me if, if that's what he goes off at from a betting standpoint. And I got, I'm looking in a little bit different direction. Um, but it's kind of an interesting field. Like I said, Dynamic One won the curling. Keep me, at, keep me in mind was the one who finished only a half a length behind Essential Quality in the Jim Dandy and ran a very good race. Um, King Fury is in Kenny McPeak's barn, and he's the one that was going to run in the Jim Dandy. And he, he could be a kind of an X factor in this race because they stuck him in a turf race earlier just to get a, a race into him, and he finished in 10th place. But they, they really weren't trying to win that race. They just wanted to get him in a race. Um, he seems like kind of an X factor horse for me. Mosque Parade was a little disappointing, finishing third in the, the Jim Dandy. Midnight Bourbon is interesting, too. I think he might be a little X factor. Um, he was in the Haskell. He's the horse that got his heels clipped by um, Hot Rod Charlie in the Haskell, resulting in um, Midnight Bourbon uh, tossing the jockey and then finishing, you know, going through the wire with no rider on his back. And then meanwhile, Hot, Hot Rod Charlie won the race, finished first, and then was disqualified for that heel clipping incident. So he Midnight Bourbon came out of that with a little bit of scrapes and cuts and stuff and apparently he you know wasn't hurt too badly from the incident and recovered nicely and he's in there so kind of curious to see what he's he's gonna offer and then miles d for chad brown very very lightly raced this is a horse i wrote about earlier in the meet prior to the um you know the the curling that he ran in um chad brown really loved this horse last year last year as a two-year-old he thought this was going to be his kentucky derby horse this year and then the horse got hurt, and they got behind in getting him to the races, and he's very lightly raced, so he doesn't really have a lot of experience. And he didn't really run all that great last time, um, so I'm not sure really what to make of him. I'm probably not going to use him at all. Um, but essential quality is legit favorite. I, I just think four to five might be a little on the low side. But, I mean, he's the champ, and he's, his only loss is in the Kentucky Derby. He's really done nothing wrong, and he's only a length back in that one, so... Legit favor, and, and uh, it would be interesting to see what his price is when the race goes off. Of course, we know Travers has a history, you know, nicknamed the Graveyard of Champions. I mean, it, I mean we were talking about you know, the four to five here, essential quality. Is, is there a horse out in this field that could you know, really shock and stun essential quality? <clears throat> From a shock 
fun standpoint, um, I'm not sure. It's just like such a short field that, um, you know, I mentioned a couple X factors already. Um, I'm, I'm interested in keep me in mind just because of how well he ran in the gym dandy and didn't miss by much. Um, so I'm going to take a hard look at him for sure. Um, uh, I don't know if that would necessarily constitute as like one of the, you know, the huge upsets in the history of Saratoga. Um, you need a little more, you know, like secretariat getting beaten the Whitney by onion. I mean, that, that qualifies as the graveyard of champions. But, um, yeah, I guess if, if Sancho Quality gets beat in this race, you know, we saw American Farrell get beat by Keen Ice a couple years ago. And, again, that was another case where poor American Farrell was hounded just like Malathot was in the, in the Alabama and still ran a really um, good race and, and but couldn't win it after, you know, the early uh, turmoil and everything. So um, I'm, not, I'm not calling Sancho Quality a lock. Um, but if he does get beat, it you know I, I think you really need a little bit more to call it the uh, you know the graveyard of champions. Uh, I don't think we're going to quite put him in that pantheon if if he gets beat, but um, it could happen. <laughs> Who are your top three? If he has it right now, obviously it could change between now and Saturday. As of right now, my top three. I'm going to take a swing with keep me in mind on top, and then I got essential quality in second. And then I think Midnight Bourbon runs tough every time. I'll put him in third. So keep me in mind, Essential Quality and Midnight Bourbon. Yes, I'm going to – I'm picking against the favorite because that's a little bit of what I do. Um, it doesn't always work out. But when it, when it does, you look like a genius. So I'll take that chance. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep that in mind next week, okay? <laughs> yeah. So do the opposite of what I say, and you'll probably be in better shape. Well, let's look at some of the obviously Travers is not the only big uh, stakes race on Saturday. A lot of other races. Uh, let's talk about the Ballerina and then Gamine in that race. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple races that I'm that I'm interested in. I, you know, I haven't really looked closely at the Sword Dancer or the Forgo yet, um, but the Ballerina is one that's going to draw a lot of attention just because of the presence of Gamine. Um, she has won all three of her. She's, she's the champion Philly sprinter from last year. She's won her three races this year by a combined 16 and a half lengths. And um, they haven't put out the odds yet on that race, but I imagine she's going to be like one to five, maybe something crazy like that. If she gets beat, that would go into the graveyard of champions situation for sure. Um, trained by Bob Baffert, who, of course, you know, I'm not going to rehash that whole saga, but. Um, a judge overturning his ban in New York opens up, opens the door for Gamine. So, you know, Saratoga racing fans will benefit from that because they get to see this champion Philly sprinter running the ballerina on Saturday. Um, that's going to be one of those races that I probably won't bet a dime and just basically spectate and see how what Gamine does. Um, uh, because for one thing, she's going to be a huge favorite. And another thing, you know, this is an undefeated this year um, champion from last year. And, and she's definitely one of the little bit stars in the country right now so it'll be cool to see her run and see what she does and the alan jerkin is also going on on saturday life is good as a horse you like you wrote a story about <clears throat> life is good in uh, tuesday's gazette and online at yeah Tuesday very gazette. very similar to um the ballerina uh, with the added factor that jackie's warrior is in there also who won the amsterdam earlier in the meet by seven and a quarter lengths um this is the big seven furlong grade one you know sprint for three-year-olds and it also serves as the comebacker race for life is good who's in a similar situation 
Well, it actually, it's profoundly different from Gamine. I was going to say the Baffert connection, but um, actually Life is Good was transferred to Todd Pletcher's barn um, in the midst of that whole Naira banning Baffert thing, Windstar Farm, the owner decided, ah, we better, we're, we really, really want to run this horse probably around when Saratoga rolls on around when he, when he comes back from his long layoff due to injury. Um, so they transferred him to Pletcher. And so it'll be, Life is Good is a, a horse that I put at the top of my, this horse could win the Triple Crown this year list uh, back when he won the, um, uh, the race at the San Felipe at Santa Anita on March 6th. That's the last time he ran. And then he got hurt. And when he won that race, he beat Medina Spirit by eight lengths. Medina Spirit, of course, went on to win the Kentucky Derby. And uh, when Life is Good won that race by eight lengths, I said, well, it's Baffert. He's got a really good horse. This horse is going to win the Triple Crown. We're going to see the third one since 2015. Then he got hurt. So that's why I'm very, very interested to see him and Alan Jerkins on Saturday, but meanwhile, he's got a tough opponent, Jackie's Warrior, and he's coming off a layoff, so um, he could be, um, you know, vulnerable in that race, but they, you know, this the, the Alan Jerkins is not the ultimate objective for Life is Good. They're using this as his comeback race. Uh, the fact that they're throwing him in a grade one seven furlong race off a five and a half month, almost six month layoff shows you what kind of opinion they have of how you know how good they think this horse is that they're using a grade one seven furlong as like kind of a stepping stone to like longer distances and other grade ones you know whatever they can sneak in by the end of the season maybe the breeders cup classic um so there's a lot of there's a couple interesting things going on in that race and certainly the presence of uh life is good is one of them yeah how nice is it to have the Travers back on the last Saturday in August as opposed to last year was earlier in the meet because of the pandemic? Well, more even more than that, um, having fans here, and I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to get over 40,000 people here on Saturday. Um, they've had three Saturdays so far this season with over 30. There was a, They had 35 or 36 on Alabama last week. There's been two other 30-plus, and I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't go over 40. Uh, this Saturday, last year when Tis the Law won the Travers and nobody was there, was just like dreadfully bizarre and absurd and um, kind of forgot, you know, we've kind of lost sight of uh, last year, um, you know, we're so deep into this meet that um, we kind of forgot what it was like with no fans there and uh, so just having fans there and it's going to be a huge crowd, that's one thing. Um and, you know, thankfully the Travers Day will, will go back to being what it's supposed to be. Who's your sister picking in the uh, Travers? She's going with, uh, I'll speak for her because she's, in, uh, she's inside right now. Um, she's going with Midnight Bourbon in the Travers because her boyfriend, Tim Finnegan, uh, likes bourbon. So, And generally people who bet that way and handicap that way, um, they're taking my money. So... <laughs> So I'm going to put a couple bucks on Midnight Bourbon for her. All right. Well, you can follow Mike's coverage of the track, especially this weekend at the Trappers, uh, at Mike underscore McAdam on Twitter. Mike, uh, thanks again, and we'll do this again next week. We'll talk about, uh, we'll get your thoughts on what, what happened at the Trappers next week. Yeah, and if my sister kicks my butt with a Midnight Bourbon pick, um, that'll be a, that, that story will be told. She'll, she'll be the guest <laughs> next week, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, she knows what she's doing more than me. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Ken. Uh, talk to you next week. All right, that's Mike McAdam coming up. I'll talk with the Gazette handicapper Matt Donato. 
You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shaw. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest is in his second year handicapping the Saratoga meet for the Gazette. Please welcome Matt Donato to the podcast. Matt, welcome back. It's been a year since we had a chance to chat, and hope all is well with you. It is. Thank you very much. Yeah, it has been a year, hasn't it? Yeah, crazy year. But uh, how much you enjoying your second year of doing this for the Gazette? I think uh, I think things have gone a little bit better this year. So last year was more algorithm based. This year it's a little bit more data analysis based. We're we're looking a little bit past the numbers, uh, so that. So instances last year, sometimes uh, the the formula would spit out, you know, some really long shot that maybe maybe wasn't the best pick. And uh, what we're doing now is, uh, you know, getting behind the formula and finding out why it's spitting out the numbers that it is, and uh, trying to uh, coax it uh, into a better direction. I think we're doing a little bit better with it this year. Yeah, you've had some uh, six win. I think a couple of six win days. It was kind of nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. This last Saturday, it was yeah, pretty good. <laughs> we got a lot of races coming up on Saturday, but let's focus on uh, the big one on Saturday, the Traverse Stakes. Uh, uh, the odds came out on Wednesday. It's just they were speaking here in the podcast. Of course, we'll go up on Thursday. Um, essential quality, the four to five favorite. I mean, it seems like it's a no brainer that he, he's going to win this race. But uh, is it is it a sure bet? So he looks like a world beater at this point, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, just uh, seven of eight career. Uh, the one uh, loss was uh, the big one in the Kentucky Derby, but I would contend uh, that he did really well uh, to, to finish fourth in that one. He was outside most of the time. He had to fight a little bit of traffic. Uh, he started gaining on the uh, on the leader there at the end, Medina Spirit, and I would say that was a really well-run and hard-fought fourth. Uh, I, I, uh, Medina Spirit was the leader the whole time, ran the uh, the shortest amount, so I would say... You know, if you're going to, that's what it's going to take to beat essential quality. I don't know who's going to beat him this time. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's another horse that's coming out of the one hole, uh, Midnight Bourbon. Uh, Steve Asmussen trained a uh, horse at 9 to 2. Yep. So, Midnight Bourbon. So, last race, he got clipped by Hot Rod Charlie. And so, you know, before that, it's hard to, it, it's hard to see exactly where he's at. He had a good uh, workout on the 15th at Saratoga. Uh, so, he's been here for a little bit, even though he's shipping in. Uh, uh, ran a bullet uh, just over a minute uh, for that workout, but I know you know he's ready to run. Uh, he's he's definitely a contender. Um, let's see, I'd say, yeah, if, if if essential quality gets boxed up or has to run on the outside again, I think uh, Midnight Bourbon could be the one to capitalize off of a bad run there. Yeah. Coming out of the uh, the third hole is uh, keep in, keep me in mind with uh, Joel Rosario on top. He, uh, he's listed at six to one. So I like keep me in mind. Uh, just uh, for their last run at the Jim Dandy at Saratoga, 
uh, at the very end, you know, he was running right alongside Essential Quality. Uh, got there at about the same time that the 316s pulled, and they dueled to the finish. Uh, but Essential Quality just had more there. Um, I know, uh, uh, who was it, uh, the jockey, Luis Sayers, said that, you know, we had a little bit more. It could have gone uh, won by a little bit more, decided not to, uh, to put, uh, not to waste any effort. And uh, so I don't, I don't know that Keep Me In Mind is going to have a better shot to beat Essential Quality than he had at the Jim Dandy. Uh, coming out of the four hole is the Todd Pletcher train dynamic one, also at six to one with Irad Ortiz Jr. on top. What, what do you think about dynamic one? I think he's a fun dark horse candidate. I mean, he's got the speed to compete, uh, and he's got that potential uh, to be overlooked in a race with essential quality in it. Uh, I think that uh, he's the kind of horse where the price might drop to a point where um, you know you, you, you could see a lot of value in there and just kind of hope for the best. Um, He's a good closer. Uh, he, uh, let's see, in the last uh, race he was in in the Curlin, uh, he came all the way back, uh, hit the stretch with the lead uh, from the very back of the pack, and uh, uh, came back to uh, to win that one, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, it, it, it's a good dark horse. If I'm going to look for value, that's where I'm going to be looking. Coming out of the number five hole is uh, Miles D, trained by Chad Brown. Uh, 12 to 1, sort of a long, one of the two long shots in this race. Yeah, and uh, uh, a good, uh, maybe one to avoid in this case, just because uh, Joel Rosario, the jockey, had a choice between Keep Me In Mind and Miles D, and uh, decided to go with Keep Me In Mind. It just it only has three races in his history, came in second in the Curlin, uh, so he's got something there. There's some potential just in the unknown, but, uh, you know, I just... It, I, I kind of need to see him prove it before I can back him, that sort of thing. Yeah, Flavian Platt's going to be on top of uh, Miles D. Does that make a difference? Say that one more time. Flavian, uh, Flavian Pratt's up on uh, riding uh, Miles D. Any, does that make a difference with a uh, different jockey? Uh, it could. Let me just check. I want to check the uh, – see if he's run with him before. No, I have no history with him. So, I don't know. It's, it's another one of those uh, where you can, you know, bet the unknown and hope for the best, but – you know, I, I just I, I need to see them together and see how they operate together before I can uh, before I can back it. Yeah. I like the name of the horse coming out of the sixth uh, spot here, Massacre Par- Mass Parade. I, I, I've never that's a nice interesting name. It's uh, Al Stahl Junior Train and Miguel Mano, and uh, will be the jockey. Uh, what about this horse? So I like the fact that you know that horse uh, Mass Parade has been with Miguel Mano for like his whole career. Uh, they've been together for a while. They're really familiar with one another. Um, let's see. Uh, they uh, ran in the Jim Dandy as well. Uh, he got passed by Essential Quality and Keep Me In Mind. It was a clear third in that one, but, you know, the same sort of thing. Just doesn't, didn't prove that, that uh, he can keep it up for the entirety of the race. He does have that, uh, he has a record of 6-3-0-2 in the last year, and that kind of home run potential in terms of winners is what, the algorithm kind of favors in this type of race, that this type of race being a stakes race at Saratoga, uh, a, a route run on dirt. So he's kind of got that makeup that makes him a, uh, a decent pick. Uh, however, just based on the fact that, you know, he's had the chance before and, and didn't perform in the gym dandy, it's kind of hard to see him turn it on this time. And then the long shot, 15-1 uh, to 1, King Fury out of the seventh hole, the Ken McPeak trade. We have obviously, you know, Ken's and his horses had to be quarantined uh, for mm-hmm. most of this uh, meet. Uh, is there any chance King Fury can pull off the major upset? So, maybe. 
uh, I, I wouldn't write him out just because uh, he raced two weeks ago at the Saratoga Derby and just st- was stuck in the back of the pack. Uh, he had no kick coming out. However, uh, you can't tell if he was just getting saved for you know a race two weeks from now. Uh, that you know, do you really want to win the Saratoga Derby or you want to save it for the Travers? That sort of thing. So if he was saved, then we don't really know what he's bringing to the table. Uh, and he could be. Uh, I mean, he, he let's see uh, the uh, Ohio Derby, uh, which was a Grade Three, and the Lexington out in uh, uh, at Keeneland. Uh, two great races. I mean, if that's the King Fury that we see, he's got a chance for it. Um, but if it's the, the same horse we saw at the Saratoga Derby, then maybe not so much. So there's potential for value there. It's just too many question marks for me. Okay, who's, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who's going to win? Who's going to place? Who's going to show? I'm going to say, if we're going to do it right off, uh, I mean, it, it can't pick against essential quality. Uh, it's This year, five starts, four wins. That's what the that's what the algorithm likes. I'm I'm not going against it today. Not at four to five. Uh, just it's going to take kind of like um, uh, let's see, uh, Malfa in uh, in the Alabama last week uh, to get beaten in the coaching club Oaks. Uh, who was it? Marajuka had to run the race of his life, mm-hmm. or excuse me, her life, in order to to get ahead and just win by a little bit. Somebody's going to have to run the race of their life to be the central quality today. And so if it's going to be Anybody, I'd say Midnight Bourbon would be number two. And then it will keep me in mind, number three. Okay, so there you go. The, the, the forces are one, two, and three, and that's uh, coming out. Uh, should be a fun race on Saturday. Looking forward to it. I agree. Yes, me as well. Well, Matt, appreciate a few minutes talking horse racing. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you very, very much. Right. That's Matt Donato coming up. Naira oddsmaker David Aragona will join me on the Parting Shots podcast. Sign up for the Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter, which comes out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Glad you're back here on the Parting Shots podcast. My next guest sets the morning lines for the races at all three Myra racetracks. Here is David Aragona. David, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's talk about what what got you interested in doing this job. Oh, I've been a fan of horse racing since I was a little kid. I was uh, one of those kids that grew up going to the racetrack with their dad a lot from when I was a young age. And, I mean, I was a casual fan of it for a long time. But I think once I reached adulthood, I kind of got really interested in the handicapping side of the sport and started doing a lot of my own work, blogging, and eventually just kind of made some connections and found myself working in this industry. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, I've been doing the morning lines at the Naira tracks for about uh, three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, for for somebody like me, I'm I'm I'm, not, I'm a horse racing now. I really don't know how how you how do you go about setting these lines and yeah, you know, what makes you think this horse is going to be uh, like a even money favorite? What makes you think this horse is a long shot? 
I mean, the biggest thing for me is just watching how the public bets the races and where the money flows to. Uh, I mean, the most work that I did before I started in this job making the morning lines is just kind of really take a look at which trainers were taking money, which riders take money, which uh, situations uh, when there's a trainer change or a layoff. Uh, trying to like get a sense of all the different angles and what attracts money, what keeps the betters away. Uh, so for a race like the Travers, I mean, you kind of have a sense of how the public has assessed a lot of these horses in the past, having run in major races for the three-year-olds. So you kind of have a sense of how they view these horses from a wagering standpoint. Well, let's look at that Travers Stakes uh, coming up on Saturday. And uh, I guess essential quality is going to be the uh, favorite. Yeah, I've pegged him at four to five on the morning line. Uh, no surprise there. This was a pretty easy choice to make this worse. A clear-cut favorite. Uh, it just seems like this is really his race to lose, and everybody else is going to be basically on a tier below him. Uh, but, uh, I mean, not only does the horse look really strong, but he's got the leading rider at Saratoga on his back, Luis Saez, and he's just got such a versatile running style that I don't think most betters are going to be too concerned about him working out the right trip. Well, of course, the Travers is known as the graveyard of so we could see an upset who knows <laughs> no i mean with like the six other horses that are in the race it's not like anybody is totally without a chance i mean everybody else has run pretty similar speed figures if you look at those all of them have you know some sort of set of accomplishments accomplishments that would make them a worthy winner of the travers but they all have to improve to be the favorite well who's uh let's take a look at the rest of the field who's uh yeah we talk about each horse and, and the odds so I'll just go in alphabetical order. Okay. I mean, dynamic one, who's the winner of the Curlin, uh, I pegged him at six to one. Uh, you know, the Curlin has not been the greatest producer of Travers winners over the years. I know there was that one long shot, uh, VE Day, about uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, but dynamic one was visually impressive in that race. I mean, it appears that he's trading well coming into this race. I take that into consideration a little bit. Uh, so there are some things to like about him. And I think he might turn into one of the buzz horses coming into the race. Uh, keep me in mind who was second to essential quality in the Jim Dandy last time. I got him at six to one as well. I mean, his big claim to fame is getting as close to essential quality as he did. Uh, but kind of like dynamic one, he's a horse that doesn't have a lot of early speed. So with not a big field sign dotted, not a ton of pace horses, he could be a little compromised by that. Uh, the long shot in the race that I pegged is King Fury. He's the biggest price at 15 to one. Uh, coming off that unconventional turf prep, I know that was necessitated by the fact that the Ken McPeak barn was in quarantine during the Jim Dandy, so he couldn't run there. So we'll see if he can rebound and get back on dirt with a career best here, but he would really have to improve to beat the favorite. I've got uh, Mask Parade at 8 to 1. Uh, he was a horse that some people liked coming into the Jim Dandy. I think he was maybe slightly disappointing in that race because his Ohio Derby had really been a career best for him, and it looked like he was on an upward trajectory. Didn't quite carry that momentum forward into the Jim Dandy, but the one positive thing about him is that he does have tactical speed, so he should be relatively forwardly placed in a race that doesn't have a ton of pace. I've got Midnight Bourbon as the second choice on the line at 9-2, to two, so a distant second choice from essential quality, uh, but he's coming out of that performance in the Haskell where he wasn't able to finish that race. Obviously there was that ugly incident, a big stretch that forced uh, Paco Lopez to, to lose the irons and fall out of the saddle. Luckily, the horse is okay. Paco was okay. Uh, but uh, he's got back races that certainly 
put him in the mix. He's the second-place finisher in the Preakness. He's just a little bit light on the speed figures, but he could be the pace setter in this race, so I think that's one reason to upgrade him. And then I've got uh, Miles D, the least experienced member of this field. He's at 12-1. to 1. He was the runner-up, the dynamic one in the Curlin. Again, I'm not sure how strong the Curlin was as a race overall, but he definitely is the horse in here with the most upside, and uh, you can't let Chad Brown go at too big of a price. Yeah. What are the challenges? Uh, I was talking with uh, Mike McAdam, our, um, our Gazette our horse racing writer, and we were talking about, you know, I was having going to have you on the show. He said, he wants me to ask you about the challenge of uh, making a line for two-year-old races at Saratoga, especially stake races. I mean, you know, in most cases, there's not much to look at. Yeah, the two-year-old races are the biggest challenge for me, but they're also some of the most fun races for me to do because there's so much to dive into. I mean, I do look at trainer patterns, I look at pedigrees, I look at sales data, but the most important factor of at Saratoga is the workouts in the morning just directly leading up to the race because a lot of people do have access to clocker information. Uh, so I try to find enough videos of those workouts if I can or clocker reports and take that into account as much as possible because the buzz horse at Saratoga the buzz first time starter is going to take a lot of money. Yeah. Do you get people complaining about the odds you said? I mean, you, you, what do you tell those people that complain about the morning line odds? I mean, you know, you do get a few of those. I mean, every summer there's a few morning lines that I just get completely wrong. It's kind of unavoidable. You can't have access to all of the information out there that's going to move the money. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think I take it in stride when somebody wants to criticize a line. But, I mean, most of the time, the best compliment for me is when people say absolutely nothing about it because that means that it's not making any waves. Is there one particular odds that you got wrong that really stands out? Yeah, there was uh, two years ago, uh, there was a horse uh, named Gilda Marie for Chris Englehart, who I think I picked at 15 to 1 on the morning line, just like a New York bred maiden who hadn't run well in both career starts, and she was making her third start, I think, off a layoff, and apparently she had some amazing workout in the morning that I wasn't privy to i didn't know about it and uh she got that down to the two to one favorite for my 15 to one line i think that's the biggest miss that i've had in my years of making the line at saratoga so i got some flack for that but i mean it was one of those situations where i really couldn't have known about the situation so you, you just have to accept that you're going to miss some of them well david i know you're on twitter where can people find you on twitter uh, you could follow me at Horse to Watch on Twitter. I'll tweet out handicapping opinions, information about the lines, and another recent commentary. Well, David, appreciate a few minutes talking uh, horse racing with you, and uh, hopefully uh, everything works out uh, Saturday at the Trevor with your picks, with your with your morning line odds. I should say not your picks, but your morning line odds. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, that's David Aragona. We'll take a break from the horse racing talk to remember the late Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts with Debbie Calton of OutsideFM.com. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line too. What can you do? 
It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hey, this is Jake Lahut, political reporter for Business Insider, and I'm a former Daily Gazette staff writer. You're listening to the Party Shot Podcast, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. The music world is in mourning after Charlie Watts, the longtime drummer for the Rolling Stones, died Tuesday at the age of 80. Joining me to discuss his legacy is the former longtime midday host at 1029 MGK in Philadelphia, and you can hear her on OutsideFM.com slash on air Tuesdays from 8 to 10 p.m. and Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Here's uh, Debbie Cowton. Debbie, uh, welcome to the podcast, and uh, thank you for doing this on uh, short notice here on this Tuesday. And, uh, and I wanted to say to the folks who are listening to the podcast, Debbie's longtime uh, DJ in Philadelphia, my hometown. I would always listen to her. I always listen to the station as well with Andre Gardner here when I'm at work. And I, you know, I would interact with you from time to time on Facebook Messenger. And I always appreciate you answering. I know you, you, it's busy, but I do appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate you coming on. It's great, great to talk to you. Well, so we're actually sort of in the same geographical area now because now I'm living in Cooksaki, New York. And so you're... You're north of me, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I still haven't yeah, just about, I guess about, guess about half hour yeah, up in uh, the Schenectady. Yeah, I, yeah, work in Schenectady and live in Rotterdam. So uh, just, a, oh. just a stone throw up uh, the New York State Thruway. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you know, I'm good. so I'm going to throw a little plug in here. Okay. I actually have re- I recently taped a PBS show, and it's been airing on the uh, – well, it's been airing across the country. It's about um, Jerry Garcia it's called Dear Jerry. But it aired um, recently on the Schenectady PBS station. Yeah, w- WMHT, yeah. There you go. Okay, very good. So <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, the news of Charlie Watts, wow, sort of took the wind out of everybody's sails today, I think. I'm, didn't, didn't you feel that way when you first read the news? Yeah, because, I mean, I was, you know, I was shocked a little bit, but knowing that he was not going to start out on the Stones tour later this year, so you figure, oh, maybe he's just it's a minor thing and all that stuff, but it's, obviously it wasn't a minor thing that, uh, that was, you know, ailing Charlie. Yeah, and that, that is the way that it, it did seem when that news was announced, because first of all, you know, the news was accompanied when they said he was stepping down from the tour. Uh, you know, it's like, but he'll be back. You know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, maybe he has to get a minor procedure done or something like that. And the photos that they used to accompany that news, you know, all, they all looked like he was in good health. So there was nothing to um, assume or, you know, that, that there was anything, you know, major going on and i think that's why it was such a gut punch today um you know to, to because there was no in between it was like okay he's stepping down for this tour but he'll be back yeah. you know i mean yeah so it was uh it, it really like i said it, it totally took the wind out of the the sales for me today and i've been reading all the things that people are posting and about his legacy and um you know i i mean the stones all of them are on you know that side of the age fence. Uh, but um, I, I guess, I don't know. You know, I mean, Charlie's 80. You still just didn't, you expected him to still be around for yeah, a long time. Yeah. I know. I mean, everybody kids about Keith Richards, you know, out, he's, you know, I, considering his, his lifestyle back in the I know. I've seen a lot of those, those comments today, too. It's like, what? You know, but, um, 
Yeah, and it was even it was going to be hard to fathom the Stones even doing a tour without Charlie. You know, although they had um, Steve Jordan, who was going to be who's extremely capable, of course, and has played with Keith Richards, um, sitting in. But now to think, okay, what happens now after this tour? Uh, do the Stones still continue without Charlie? I've also seen a lot of comments like that. It's like, okay. Maybe time to step down, you know, after this tour, uh, because you know, the Rolling Stones without Charlie Watts, you know, it's just it's uh, it's hard to fathom. He's played with them for sixty, you know, it's been sixty years. I mean, they are a a tight knit group, um, and Charlie brought so much to the musicianship of the band and. Per- Probably his greatest asset was that he was so unassuming. You know, he was not a flashy player. Um, but I recently heard an interview that uh, Keith Richards did about Charlie. Um, and he was talking about, you know, th- there's that term in the pocket. You know, that mm-hmm. Charlie was that. Uh, but he would still, he would improvise. But he, again, you Charlie always had that deadpan look. Almost <laughs> like he was bored, <laughs> yeah. you know, playing the drums back there. But he was... Keeping, you know, a drummer, the rhythm section is the core of a band. And uh, a lot of times I saw this remark, you know, a lot of times it looked like Charlie was just sort of, you know, blithely playing with the Rolling Stones until he was going on to the next gig. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going to get through with it. But he was always steady. And again, a minimalist player. Um, I'm not a musician myself, or certainly not a drummer, uh, but I was talking to my husband, who is a musician, today about it. And he was saying something about the technique of charlie like something he would do with a snare and a hi-hat and a two and four and the space between now i don't really understand what all that means <laughs> but that there was a very special way that he approached it and again it was just very steady very unassuming you know you have drummers who like they're very physical and all that that wasn't charlie and charlie always looks so dapper you know yeah. too <laughs> drum kit. i mean it's just again it's kind of hard to imagine the rolling stones without charlie in the band am i one of my bosses here editor miles reed we, we were talking about charlie watson uh, he he called him a meat and potatoes drummer i mean not flashy as you said uh I mean, not not in this, you know, it's like a Keith Moon was you know, a, a flashy little over the edge drummer, but he was the writer Ginger he, Baker. Or yeah. any of those he guys, was just yeah. a mean potatoes guy, but as you said, not flashy, but he kept the band together with the with, with the beats. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Again, just so very steady. And you know, another thing that I love about um, Charlie is the fact that he's been married to his wife Char- Shirley since 1964. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many? rock and roll marriages you know stay together for that many years so that means that he was just a really lovely man at home too obviously everyone that i've ever talked to who has met him said he's such a gentleman and again you know you wouldn't necessarily know that he was a rock star when he's not on stage you know so he found a way to completely balance both sides and of course he also had a jazz background as well they kept him very grounded in that too so being in the stones you could almost say he was sort of not blasé about it because of course he still did what he was there to do but it wasn't like necessarily the be all end all for him mm-hmm. uh i guess the uh yeah, as you said, the marriage. I mean, 57 years of being married to the same uh, woman. Just uh, that's just incredible. You, you can figure what the rock lifestyle is like, especially what it was like in the 
you know, 60s and 70s, how crazy it was. And uh, just, uh, but uh, it's just amazing to me that you know, a rock and roll marriage can survive uh, that way. I know. Well, the only other person that comes right to the top of my mind uh, who's managed to do that, I don't know if it's been since 1964, but John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin has also been with his wife for a very long time. And again, you know, there's sort of an unassuming guy, too. I I think that, um, you know, when these high-profile musicians can find such a great way to still be grounded, you know, and again, have a good family life and, you know, have other interests, other things that they do besides that one Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones, then they actually, you know, uh, they have sanity in their lives, you know. Uh, they don't have, like, all necessarily the, the chaotic stuff that comes along with the rock and roll lifestyle. And, uh, again, Charlie, you know, I, I just... I mean, all the stones have their individual stones have their own dress codes, you know, but uh, Charlie just always was so pulled together, you know, and um, just such a steady, you know, it's just a steady presence. The one story and the meme that I've seen online recently, and it was showed it again today, I guess there was a story where uh, Mick Jagger was drunk and called Charlie's room and goes, where's my drummer? And Charlie gets up, I guess he gets shaves and showers and gets dressed up in a suit and goes down to the bar where Jagger's are, Jagger is and punches his lights out and says, I'm, I'm not your drummer, you're my singer. And then the memes are, he wore, he wore a suit. <laughs> I love that. That is so fantastic. Well, and again, I think it's obvious how much all of the Stones uh, revered Charlie, uh, I, I saw, um, well, Daryl Jones, who's been the touring basis for the Stones for a long time, uh, he posted today, you know, that uh, he had no idea it was coming. this was coming. I guess it was kept fairly quiet. You know, he said, I mean, obviously he was privy to some information when they announced that Charlie wasn't going to be joining the tour, but, uh, you know, he's devastated. I, I mean, I'm sure, well, I don't know, maybe Mick and Keith have put out their statements now, too, but I'm sure they're all just completely devastated. Stated. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The one I mean, friends for friends, friends for all those years. Yeah. I mean, you know, performing with each other for all those years. That's that's something. That's a long time together. And the, the one question I would have for these artists who have lasted this long, like the Rolling Stones, like Paul McCartney, like Ringo Starr. I mean, what was the pressure like in the sixties? Yeah, the, from the record companies to put out singles all the time. And, I mean, you don't see that pressure nowadays, but I can't imagine what the pressure was like back in the 60s and 70s to put uh, you know, albums out. I mean, I, it's, just, it's just nuts. It was nuts, yeah. I, I mean, singles, albums, like you said, several, you know, a lot of those record company contracts were like for three, you know, two, three albums in a year. Yeah. You know, come on. A lot of bands who, um, you know, they take years uh, in between albums uh, with, the, you know, perfecting everything. Uh, they didn't, well, of course, they did not have the technology back then. And a lot of times it's like, okay, first take, we're going with it, you know. And then you had like A sides and B sides. A lot of times the B side had to be as good as the A side of a single. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of pressure. But, but that was just the nature of the beast back then. And the bands did it, you know, they just did it. Well, so it'll be interesting to see what the uh, Stones do uh, after Charlie's passing, if they're still going to tour or whether they're going to just, you know, maybe say call it a career. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do. 
Yeah, I think they're going to have to, you know, they're, they're going to be listening to a lot of different um, input. You know, they're probably going to be seeing how social media is treating this whole thing. Uh, you know, since they've already had planned on doing the tour without Charlie, I, I think they will probably go on and then make, make it a tribute tour to Charlie. But I think after that, and I don't have any inside information. This is just my own personal speculation. But I think after, if that does indeed happen, if they do go ahead and tour, after that is when they're going to, that's when it's going to be the crunch time, when they're, they're going to have to say, do we, you know, finally just hang it up and call it a day? We'll see. Yeah. Well, Debbie, I appreciate a few minutes uh, chatting with you about this. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate you know, un circumstances, but, uh, you know, we were blessed to have Charlie in our lives, and uh, we'll always have, have him in our lives as we continue to listen to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and I suspect that we will all be listening. Here's another thing that I just read about Charlie, too, and it hadn't really occurred to me, but then I thought, well, that's true. He never took a drum solo, you know? Yeah, yeah. He didn't have to for his ego. It was just him being the steady backbeat and everything. But I suspect that going forward, we're all going to be paying more, way more attention when we hear Stone's song to the, uh, the great contributions that Charlie made to the overall band sound. Well, Debbie, again, appreciate a few minutes, and hopefully we, next time we talk, it's under better circumstances. <laughs> Well, thank you for thinking of me, Ken. I appreciate it. All right, that's Debbie Cowden. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 24 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is Michael Davis of Troy. Michael wins a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations, Michael! The VIP winners were Daily Gazette sports writing legend Jim Schiltz and Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Mike McAdam, Matt Donato, David Aragona, and Debbie Calton for coming on the show. 
If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and rest in peace, Charlie Watts.